Hello and welcome to Guiding Assets, the flagship investment podcast for CFA Institute. I'm Mike Wahlberg, and I'm pleased to welcome Barbara Stewart back to the show today. Barbara brings 30 years of investment experience to her work as an interview-driven researcher, keynote speaker, and columnist. Today, she is recognized worldwide as one of the leading researchers in women and finance. Her rich-thinking global research papers quote smart women and men of all ages, professions, and countries, and are released annually on International Women's Day, March 8th. Right on time, Barbara has released a fascinating paper this Women's Day, and we're going to talk about that and more in this episode of the show. Welcome, Barbara. Hi. Happy to be here. Thanks for having me back on the show. Now, Barbara, I'd like to start with the paper you published this time last year, titled Smart Women, How Do They Make Money? At a high level, could you please describe for us the focus of this study, who you interviewed, and maybe what you mean by the term personal business model? Sure. Well, I got the idea for the topic because a journalist asked me, Barbara, what's your business model? And I really had trouble answering the question. So I knew it was a good question because I'd been working for a long time making money in a variety of different ways, but I'd never thought of my own personal business model. So I decided, because every year I only ask really one question for my Rich Thinking annual paper, that I would use that one. And I, as always, interview 50 or more really smart, successful people from all around the world, different cultures, different industries, different professions, and ask them that question. And really to back into how do you come up with your personal business model, I found out that you really have to figure out how you make money as well. So it's kind of a combination of how do you make money? And once you know that, then maybe you can come close to defining your personal business model. So it's not too dissimilar to a company and how a business model for a company is an outline of how they make money. It's the same for an individual I found, and specifically with women, because I interviewed only women, they really layer on health, happiness, lifestyle, and all kinds of things go into their categories of personal business models. So there were a number of different themes that surfaced as you interviewed the 53 women around the world where different respondents interpreted or applied the idea of a personal business model in different ways. You grouped them as those who employ a certain mindset for approaching work in a strategic way, others who have adapted a deliberate way of working to reach financial success, and finally, those who adopt what you call a holistic philosophical approach to money making. So can you introduce us to women who live within the sort of eight types of business models in these categories? Sure. So some are very definitive and methodological and approach work in a really strategic way. I'll give you three examples. One is a woman who talked to me from Sydney, Australia, Priyanka Jane, who said her whole idea was to become a known brand. And now we, we know what branding is all about, and we all do a little bit of it, hopefully. But she really changed her whole life to become a known brand. She was working, she had her MBA, she was working for Deloitte Consulting in Toronto, not loving her job. So during the pandemic, decided randomly to move to Australia and thought she would become a barista at Starbucks and kind of take a break for a while. Well, what had happened was all, all the time that she was working at Deloitte, her friends kept saying, you know, you really should be a model. You've got one of those faces that would do really well. And she never had the confidence to try it out in her home city. So since she was in Sydney, Australia and didn't really know anyone, she decided to get a couple of headshots taken. And she decided to send them off to a few agencies. And of course, as you know, with the pandemic, everyone was glued to their screen. 
and watching all those hairdos and makeup and learning how to do your nails and everything else. And Priyanka became a an overnight success and became this incredibly familiar, popular model on Instagram and on all of these different YouTube channels. And her business model is really every day she earns either $30 an hour or $2,000 an hour for people using her face and her brand. So she isn't coming home anytime soon, I can tell you that. Another strategic way of working was a woman I met in Malaysia called Joelle Pang, who is running a blue-collar work platform for finding blue-collar jobs. And she said she's always had this personal business model of having a guiding principle. And her guiding principle is that every single year she gets it in her hand that she's going to increase her income by 10 to 15%. So whether she's asking for a promotion in a job or whether she's going after a completely different job, her mindset is my guiding principle is I'm going to get 10 to 15% income each year. And it works. You become what you think about, apparently. And yet another example of the strategy is Marsha Larned, who I met. She was in Hong Kong, who works with Institutional Investor, which some of you will know for sure. And she said her strategy has always been to be what's called the go-to person. So have this really first-class approach to connecting people within the industry. Her job involves introducing CIOs to different institutional fund managers. But she wants to be the person that everybody knows. So if somebody asks, who should I talk to about this? She wants every single person to say, you got to talk to Marsha. She'll connect you. So those are the kind of people that have the real sort of strategic, determined approach. And then the second category is people who work in what I would call a deliberate way. And this is even more methodical. A perfect example is a woman that I met in the UK called Donna Maj, and she works for a company called Bathworks, which is in the technology industry. And how she works is she uses frameworks and platforms and collaborations. So for example, her strategy for her business model is she puts together a stakeholder map. She lists every single stakeholder in her ecosystem. She identifies all the potential win-win engagements, and then she builds relationships around those potential win-win engagements. So it's incredibly methodical and she goes through it step by step. And as she said, it's a ton of work, but she's really been able to build out a huge and very successful platform. And then the third category, and there's a lot of people in this one who work in a really what I call holistic way. Um, we hear the term portfolio career a lot these days. I certainly would count myself in that category where you make money from a bunch of different um, interests and writing, speaking, consulting, whatever it is, and you jumble together a good income at the end of the year. But this personal business model includes your own lifestyle, your own happiness, your own philosophy, and maybe you start with an end in mind of how much money do I need to feel good about myself and my life and be able to run every day and do anything that I want to do. And then you build it from there kind of backwards with the end in mind. And one great example of this is a woman in the States called Lani Marchant, who's actually an Olympic runner. She's won many competitions. And she said she would describe her personal business model as an eclectic one. 
because she's trained as a lawyer. She's also an Olympic athlete. But on the side, she works as a nanny part-time. She's a podcaster. And she also is a dog walker. And many people ask her, you know, what are you doing walking dogs if you're a qualified lawyer, an Olympic athlete? And her response is, you know, I come from a blue collar background and I don't, I don't really care what people think. I grew up in a family of seven kids and I got to take my own dog for a walk anyway. So why not earn another $250 a week bringing someone else's dog along with us? Makes complete sense. If you drop the ego, you can have a really cool personal business model. Well, that's, it's funny. So many people every day stop me on the street and tell me that I should also be a model. <laughs> yeah, but you I can't, of course. so much. I, I have a face for podcasting, as they say. <laughs> so I, I wanted to ask you about the uh, COVID catapult, which is a term that you coined back in 2020. Um, to, what is what is that? What is the COVID catapult? And I, I know it predated your later work, but I'm curious how it, how it might have resonated with you as you had these conversations you've been talking about about women's personal business models yeah well it's funny sometimes people contact me because i write for enterprising investor and i mean not that often but one person out of the u.s decided to write to me during the pandemic and said you know i, I wonder if this would be a great idea for an article and he said did you know that women are starting more businesses these days and he had all these stats from print shops of all things where Women in the UK specifically were kind of hanging out their shingle and printing business cards and coming up with new brochures, starting new businesses at a really, really significantly higher rate than men. So I looked into that more and I actually had a bunch of print shop contacts around the world. I used to work for Xerox a million years ago and I have a lot of relationships. So I checked globally on the stats and it was consistent whoever I talked to that women were starting more businesses than men. So that's when I came up with the idea of the COVID catapult and wrote an article for Enterprising Investor about that. And, you know, I think as far as I can tell, I haven't done any research very recently, but it looks like we're still on that path from everything that I, I'm hearing about. And, and that was something that came out of the, the the research on the business model work as well, wasn't it? Because I think I read in your report that 85% of women are making money the old-fashioned way, the same as 40 years ago, but half of them are doing them, doing so at firms that they had founded, which I found really interesting. And that was so such a, a happy finding for me because, I mean, I was interested in how people are making money because we always hear that you know everybody's in the gig economy, we've all got part-time work and multiple jobs. But it turned out that of all the people that I interviewed, really, as you said, 85% are still earning a salary bonus, something more or less traditional. But of those that are, are doing that, over half are doing it as a leader of their own company, which is amazing. So let's talk about the Rich Thinking study that you published this month, uh, which included both men and women this round as, as interview subjects. Uh, your question for 2023 was, how do you invest in yourself? What did the results tell you about what men and women prioritize when investing in themselves and, and what most surprised you? Well, first of all, I was really happy I interviewed men as well as women because I've decided I want to become more inclusive. Since I started doing this research 13 years ago, the space of women and money has completely exploded and I don't feel as I'm needed anymore to shine a light on the gender-specific issues around finance. So. Now I think I'm going to be in a great position to be able to compare the genders on a variety of different topics. 
So this question of how do you invest in yourself, what was not a surprise was the top three ways, whether you're a man or a woman, people invest in themselves. Number one is exercise, um, buying exercise equipment, exercising more, investing in your body. For example, one guy I interviewed in France who owns a winery, Christophe Pretel, he ended up last year committing to a goal of ascending, ascending Montval to 100 times, either cycling or jogging up it. And he achieved his goal for a charity. Um, the second best, most important way of investing is travel. And in this one, you know, people traveling better, buying business class tickets so that they can sleep on a flight, so they can get more work done as an investment in themselves. I certainly agree with the amount that I travel. And one person I interviewed was Donovan Bailey, who's a world famous sprinter. And he said, yeah, he said travel is so important. He thinks it's number one. He's been to 200 different countries and he said, Barbara, you got to drink the wine with the people. You got to learn their culture. You got to look at their art and all of that. And it really enriches you as a person. And then the third one is food. Tons of people out there really into expensive organic food. Now we've even had inflation. So food's even more expensive than I did these interviews. So um, one guy in Taiwan that I met, Lai Ping Chu, he runs a language training company. And he said he spends all his money with his wife going on these what he calls adventures. They'll do like a five course Wagyu beef menu in Osaka. And then on the other hand, they'll go to Myanmar and eat the street food like a tea leaf salad. And then they compare notes on what is better and maybe they're all good and they have wonderful discussions around food. So the money that they spend is a real investment, both from an experience point of view and just in good food. There's another five top ways that people in common invested in themselves. And I'll just tell you what those were. Again, I don't think they'd be that surprising, but people spending more time and money on relationships with their family and friends, um, money on continuing education, money to self-finance a passion project of some sort, um, maybe fun to create a habit. And my favorite was drink better wine, which certainly is something I like to do as well. So were there any key differences between how, how men and women are, are investing in themselves? You know, across the board, it was sort of those eight categories and a lot of them overlapping. And some people mentioned all eight and some mentioned uh, an emphasis on one or two. But the biggest surprise by far that I had in doing the research this year was that nearly twice as many men as women talked about investing in themselves in terms of investing in their mental health. And what they meant by mental health investments was something along the lines of meditation or yoga or journaling or having walks by themselves, me time walks, um, anything to do with something that would anchor them in feeling okay about themselves, working on their own self-awareness. I mean, one guy in the UK, Eric Fulweller, who runs a marketing agency, he said, you know, I wish somebody had told me how important it was to be self-aware when I was growing up. He said, I wish someone had told me when I was 10 or 15 or 20 or even 25, spend time figuring out who you are. And it would have helped him so much in his view. But yeah, it was really actually a shock to me that so many men I talked to were very, very open because that's certainly not the stereotype of men. And even after 
yeah, it's it's very surprising to me that 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 would, that would be the case that that you would have this sort of two to one ratio of you you would imagine that that it would be the other way around. Exactly, and it was unprompted. It wasn't like I was prompting the men to talk about mental health. I just asked the same question: How do you invest in yourself? And they sort of blurted out all this stuff, and it was really lovely because I got a number of emails afterwards thanking me for, you know, I've never really had this kind of conversation. And it was interesting and cathartic for me to talk about all of these things. So I felt like I was a little bit of a therapist too, even though I didn't really say anything. But yeah, it was great, great to see that focus and the comfort level talking about mental health. Well, that's interesting you say that, because I know that in the in client managers, portfolio managers in that role, sometimes you're playing the role of therapists as you go through time, you get to know your clients, you deepen those relationships. And it makes me think, you know, this question is, and how do you invest in yourself is open-ended enough that it, it could be a valuable way to deepen those relationships with your clients. I know, Barbara, you spent a couple of decades as a portfolio manager for, for high net worth entrepreneurs. How could this have aided your KYC conversations? Yeah, you nailed it. I think it is KYC. I've always had kind of a uh, not a good feeling about those forms like any of us because no one wants to waste time filling out compliance forms. It's the most boring part of the job, right? But I mean, KYC should evolve. Um, we shouldn't be just taking the risk tolerance and return boxes. I think the only reason I always say that I was ever very successful as a portfolio manager was I was not afraid to ask open-ended questions. And I mean, yeah, I studied and got the CFA designation, but something that can really differentiate you is obviously the ability to deepen those relationships, as you say. So I found out last year asking 52 people, how do you invest in yourselves? But that would make an excellent KYC question. Because first of all, everybody loved answering that question. Nobody stumbled or said like, oh, I'm not comfortable. You're asking me too many personal questions. Not one. And I think I would encourage anyone just to try it out, even if it feels uncomfortable at the start. Um, you'd be amazed at how much people want to talk about how they invest in themselves. And from there, you can even potentially draw some sort of correlation between their philosophy of investing in themselves and how are they investing in their investment portfolio and why or what are they looking for and why. And I, I would argue they know a lot more about the person if you have that conversation. So figuring out your client's passion for why they're investing in themselves in a certain way could tell you a lot. And then you probably be able to help them and have a more of a partnership kind of relationship in terms of how you're going to help them invest accordingly. Yeah, because it, it would give you some insight, I would think, into you know how they think, right? Like if they're meticulous or methodical, you can kind of get an understanding, a better understanding of perhaps their willingness to take risk, for example. Exactly. All right. Well, we're coming to the end of our conversation today, unfortunately, Barbara, but I do have one final two-part question for you. And that was, what was your first job in the industry? And if you could go back and take yourself for coffee on your first day, what key piece of advice would you offer yourself? Okay. I wasn't expecting this one, but I'll never forget my first day in the industry. I was kind of older getting into the industry. I started in the foreign currency trading room for Bank of Montreal when I was almost 30 years old, which was deemed ancient for a currency trader back in the early 90s. 
And I remember my first day walking in knowing absolutely nothing. I'd somehow talked myself into getting hired, even though I really wasn't the right person for the job in terms of my training, but that's a whole different story. Um, I was a very determined person and really wanted to work in a trading room. Walking in, there had been all these other people that had friends that they'd tried to get hired into my sales role. And they all kind of looked at me like, who the hell is she? And nobody was friendly. And who does she think she is? She has no experience in the investment industry. She came from Xerox sales. And that was kind of unheard of at the time. And so it was a very hostile first day in the industry. And, you know, it ended up turning out great. And I spent five years in that same room and made many friends over time. But I, I think if I had to go back, I would say to myself, you know, you don't need to go home and ball your eyes out tonight, which is what I did thinking it was going to be a horrible shift in my life. You know, just calm down. People will get over it and they'll get to know you and you'll get to know the job and you'll do well and all of that. So calm down would be my advice to myself. Well, it, uh, it worked out. You ha you've had a long and uh, successful career. So good advice on day one. I've been speaking today with Barbara Stewart, researcher and author of the Rich Thinking series and Hot off the presses, a great article this month in the Enterprising Investor blog, summarizing her latest study. You can find that on the CFA Institute website. Thanks so much for coming on the show today, Barbara. My pleasure. It was a great chat. Thank you, Mike. I'm Mike Wahlberg, and this has been Guiding Assets. <laughs>